Hello and welcome to My C5 Life, a podcast where we talk about life with a disability. This is your host, Lindsay Knott, coming to you live from my wheelchair. I obtained my spinal cord injury as a teenager, which sees me getting around on four wheels instead of two legs. Through this podcast, I will share my lived experience of life with a disability and how we can improvise, adapt and overcome life challenges. So, Joe, I see that you've been using your power chair with a chin control. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? The chin control, because I broke my neck and can't use my hands for movement, I use the chin control to do the driving of my wheelchair and to also be able to adjust the height or the seating position. And it's actually quite receptive and easy to use. Yeah. The the chin control, I've got a ball on mine and it's just over a toggle a lot like doing the driving of cars on your PlayStation or your Nintendo and that that little switch, you just move forward, back, left, right to get your directions. Oh, cool. So I've seen some cool videos of you lately opening up your own doors and things like that. How do you go about doing that with your chin control? I have my keys wired to my chair. And the front door is wired to my control four system as well. So I can, with my chair, I go through my programming. I've got the small button on the chair that allows me to change the programs. I go through to the program that has the door setting on, which the opposite side is also release the wee bag. So you've got to make sure you get the right one. You don't want any Um, marks anywhere. Yeah, often I try to open the door and wee on the floor or occasionally you go for a wee and you end up opening the door and letting all the pets out. So once you've got it on the right setting, I pull my chin control in. Oh, no, that's for a wee. I push my chin control out to open the door. So you, you're pretty independent during the day, then you can open and close the door and get out when you when required to get I into can, the yeah. sun. And I can do it by voice control, and I can also do it using my iPad and a mouth stick, and that goes through the control for system, yep. and that will hold the door locked open so I can come and go as I please. Yeah, and for our listeners, if you don't mind me asking, how long you've been um, using a wheelchair for? Since 2011. I broke my neck in November 2010. So just over almost 11 years. Yeah. yeah. And how you found technology in that time? Has it progressed? I mean, oh, it's progressed an awful lot. When I first broke my neck, the iPad had just come out in the July of 2010. And I'd bought my husband one and then he upgraded it and gave me his one for my birthday in October. And then I brought my neck in November and I just started playing with the iPad. And after I brought my neck, it's like, well, I want to read a book. And they had page turners at the hospital, but they couldn't locate it and they couldn't get it to work. It's like, well, I can have books on my iPad. So we needed to find a way to adapt the iPad to my wheelchair and then use a mouth stick to be able to turn the pages. Yeah. And then since then, we've now got voice control, which just gives you so much more independence. Yeah. You know, at home, I can use voice control to contact Michael if I need his help in the bedroom or to make phone calls. Or if I'm awake at three o'clock in the morning, I can ring my sister in the UK and we can just chat for a couple of hours because she's already up. So advancements in technology has made a big difference to independence. Yeah. And Siri's been... Very helpful and very unhelpful on occasions. Very frustrating, yeah. I have many arguments with Siri, Google and Alexa. You got all three of them. I have all three and they drive me insane. (laughs) 
Do they answer you back all the time? Alexa does. <laughs> she just butts into conversations whenever she feels like it. I've, uh, I haven't had much luck with them as well. I, they, I they work, but you've got to be persistent. It takes a while for them to recognise your voice, the way you speak, and then with yourself and myself, if our lungs are off slightly and our voice isn't quite as loud or the same, then they tend to play up a little bit. Oh, I've, I often find that when I'm lying in bed and having to talk to Siri that way, it, she doesn't always recognise me as easy as it is when I'm sitting up in my chair doing some stuff. Yeah. So over the 11 years, have you found other than technology, other advancements in equipment that have helped you or? Chairs, definitely. When I got my first chair, it didn't have the height mechanism and it didn't also have the the way the legs stretch to be able to stretch your knees. So what do you mean by the height? When you'd go to supermarkets or anywhere, or even if you're out and you're talking to people when they're stood up, you're permanently looking up. And in those early years, with me having my neck pinned at the front and the back down um, to my shoulders, looking up was really painful and hard work and it made it harder to breathe. Yep. So being able to raise my chair to eye level to have a conversation means I'm not straining on my chest. So you can get to almost six foot high. Yeah. And steal all the good oxygen. Exactly. <laughs> so with your legs, leg stretch, is that an option for your legs to come out further or to stand you vertically? Just to put them straight. Yep. So instead of just tilting the chair and just putting the feet out a little bit, I can put them all the way up. So if you go in tilt, then your feet can be that little bit higher to reduce the swelling that you get in your legs. So it's a bit of a health benefit as well. It is, yeah. Yeah. And with that, have you had many issues over the years with your health, like other than the spinal cord injury, like side effects from that that have caused your issues or have advancements with physio? My biggest and- one is the bladder infection, suprapubic catheter. And with that, it's okay if you're drinking lots of fluids and you're keeping on top of the regular changes. But as you go through the years, as you'd probably know yourself, you get the buildup of calcium particles in your bladder and potential bladder stones and calcium stones. Yeah. Once that debris gets compacted in your bladder, then basically it's a bit like going for a spring clean. Yeah. Go to the PA and get a, a cystoscopy done and they vacuum that all out. And yeah. Give it a, a good spring cleaning. So it's really keeping maintenance and looking after your own your own internals like a car to make sure that you run healthy and keep healthy and out of hospital is, is the most important part. Yeah, because hospital's awful. Yeah, you come out sick up from going in them. You do. I went in with a bladder infection and came out with MRSA. <sighs> How long did that take to clean up? A few years, but it was a great advantage when you went in. You just go, MRSA, private room, please. <laughs> Our princess, Joe, getting their own way of in course. the hospital. That's what we want. So with your career, Joe, pre and post, what were you doing beforehand? When we came over here, I came over as a high school chemistry teacher and I was working in a private school in the Redlands, Ormiston College. So that was sort of pre and post. Pre in the UK, I started out as a hairdresser when I left school. Had a variety of different jobs, part-time, bar work, shop work, and gradually did my degree, got my chemistry degree and started as a secondary school teacher, which I continued. That was the way to be able to migrate over here yeah. and get our residency. 
And how long were you living in Australia? Three years. Three years. Yeah. So your your hairdressing skills have come in handy with your wig that you wear when you come out to parties. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it made me think that you actually had long hair with colour. Yeah, that was really funny. It's like, oh my god, Joe, your hair's grown. Yes, in three months, I'd gone from virtually bald to shoulder length. <laughs> Yeah, you had us all that night. That's very funny. So post-injury, what have you been doing for employment and things like that? When I first had the injury, the school had the work cover protection. So that paid my income for five years, which didn't really make it viable to do any work. Otherwise, you, you lose that insurance. As that five years came to an end, PBF approached me to do presentation talks to their party program, which is prevention of alcohol-related trauma in youth. That's the paraplegic benefit fund, is that right? That's right. And uh, I go and share my story of how alcohol and choices led to my broken neck paralysis. Yeah. So you're making a difference to people in the long run there. Hopefully. Yes. Yeah, we can just stop one person. That's the most important part. Yeah. The most important part there. And I see that you've been uh, sharing your story around with PBF and your story got shared around just recently on the socials of you doing some achievements along the way just recently. Yes. Yes. Can you want to explain that a little bit to the audience? Ever since I broke my neck, I've always just tried to continue to make the most out of life and challenge myself as much now as I did pre-injury. And one of those was to do a helicopter flight because you told me how you've been on it. And it's like, well, hell, if Lindsay can do it, so can I. So eventually we did whale watching a couple of weeks ago and we came off the whale watching and went straight into the helicopter area and checked it out. Before I try new things, I often do a lot of preparation first. So we went and checked out the helicopter area, spoke to the staff discussed how we would do the transfers and problem solved. Then I spent a a week down at the gym and in my gym session down there, we did a practice transfer, which was actually a lot scarier and more complex than the the actual thing. Yeah. And then when we did the helicopter flight, I took all my care staff because, as you know, I'm a bit of a princess and I've got to have my entourage. So it was me plus four care staff. And then we had a very tall six-foot pilot that helped do the transfer from my chair into the helicopter. And the work at the gym has improved my posture. So I was able to sit up with just the seatbelt and not need an awful lot of support. So you lucky care care crew and... (laughs) Yeah, it was good. It was a great afternoon. Yeah, that's cool. So with your challenges that that we all have, anyone with a spinal cord injury always has challenges and requirements that we need... You've just spoke a little bit about going to the gym and making strides and getting that support that you needed for that um, challenge of going in a helicopter. Like what are some of the um, requirements that you you need um, along the way to to keep you going every day and for activities in general? Good question. That's changed a lot over the 10 years. Initially, when I had my injury, as I said, we'd only been here three years, so we've moved to the other side of the world. And then the dream that I've sold the family, because it was my dream to be here, was crashed and had to find a way to reconstruct that and keep it all together, which we did as a family. We're still a good family unit. And 
Remind me of the question again, Lindsay. I've gone AWOL. Well. The challenges that we all have, like as a some with a spinal cord injury, what challenges we have, like having a support worker, getting out, what activities can we do and how do we get to do those activities and different things like that that we all go through. Like and some people need more, some people need less. Um, it's the support that you get yep. from the beginning. Some of it's your own natural personality, whether you're someone that shies away or someone who will push. Yep. From day dot, I was pushing to improve, to get out. So seven weeks after my injury, Michael, family, friends all came to the house. Michael came and picked me up from the hospital. Yep. Took me home for Christmas Day at seven weeks. The week after, the same group of people went to South Bank with me because that was the big challenge is how am I going to go out in the wheelchair in public? Wow, seven weeks. So seven weeks after your injury, you're out and back back in the community. I was still seven weeks. I was still lying flat on my back in traction. No, I was was up. I think after I'd come out of intensive care, by three and a half weeks, they got me in one of those, you know, the flat chairs that sit you up and sat me out on the balcony so I could get some fresh air. Did you pass out in one of those? No, but they terrified me when they transferred me back to bed. (laughs) I never passed, well, I don't think I passed out, but I got very lightheaded going into that into those chairs so you have support workers and things like that in your every day do you get out and about do you have a car or transport how do you get to your activities sea world and whale watching yeah i have my own transport i have a car when i was teaching at the school at ormiston there was a grade 10 chemistry student that spent a whole of grade 11 with her parents and the support from the school doing fundraising activities. And she had a different activity every month to do fundraising that ended in the October of 2011 at the same time as my 40th. And we had a fancy dress 40th birthday party. And throughout that year, they raised enough funds to buy me a Kia Carnival. Holy dooly, that's awesome. have it altered. So, yeah, that has been fabulous. Yeah. So much more freedom than public transport or taxis that never turn up on time or just yeah. like stranded in the rain. Yeah. So it's opened the opened the doors for you? An awful lot, yeah. And how many people can you get into the uh, little car of yours? I can get myself plus six, no, two at the front, one to the side, I mean two at the back. So, an, an, so another five. Plus. Your entourage can definitely go with you with all your gear. Yeah. And do you use that car to go away on your weekends and things like that or activities? Yeah, if I go out on the weekdays, I go down and I have the dogs beside me. There's a ledge from where the side seat was taken out, so that's the dogs area. Yep. If I'm going away, then that ledge puts my air mattress in, my hoist goes behind me, my shower chair goes behind that. Yeah. All the extra bottles and equipment that we need goes down the side. And then obviously your case of wine and yeah. Or <laughs> the Anything essentials. Anything else that you need, yeah. Your, your essentials to keep you warm. Definitely. And enjoy that. So any advice that you've received over the years or people that have opened the doors or someone that's guided you through um, since your injury? Like, is there anyone that's helped you out? And if so, how has that changed your life over the time? There's been many different sources of advice, all well-meant. Sometimes they're frustrating, depending on the time that they're delivered. So in the early days of being at the PA, people say, oh, you know, just 
look at the little things in life, enjoy the little things. It's like, really? Rainbows? Unicorns? Go away, don't be so daft. Because you've got bigger things to deal with. You've got to deal with the grief of losing whatever mobility you've lost from before you got into the hospital, you was one person. Then when you wake up after your injury, in your head, you're the same person, but your body is completely different. So I view my body as dead body in comparison to my head. And that advice of enjoying the little things in those early days was too much to ask. And yep. as it's you go further down the line, once you get through those general stages of grief, of accepting the loss of your body movements, of the anger and the frustration, that life not being the same, that all your future options have completely changed. Once you start coping with that and then start rebuilding your life again, yeah. then you can appreciate the little things again. Initially, I hated every carer that came in the house. Couldn't stand them. They're an invasion of your privacy. You, you know, you, in your most intimate postures. Yeah. And you've got these strange people that you don't know that are barely trained. Yeah. Doing all the work for you in your own personal home, in front of your family. Yeah. It's like, go away, I don't want you. Very, I don't like you. You're here because I need you, not because I like you, not because I want to be friends with you. And it would come out so bitter and twisted. And now I've just got Tiff and she's all right. I can't with that. <laughs> the golden girl. Oh, definitely at the moment. Yes. Until she's not. <laughs> there you go. We'll be talking to Tiff soon. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it, does, so it took you a little while to adjust to that and get through to using support workers in general and being, being comfortable um, in the family home. As yes, well, it, it's not just myself that has to cope with that. Yep. It's the whole family. Yep. You know, the, the husband and the two children. Danielle was 17, 18 at the time. Yep. Uh, Connor was only 11. So he wasn't too bad. He's grown up with it. But, you know, that normal freedom of wandering around your house in your underwear in the morning. Yep. You've got carers coming in at seven o'clock. Yeah. I just said to the kids, carry on. Your house, your underwear. Walk around. Your, like it. If yeah, they your don't house. Like it, they can look elsewhere. Yeah, your house, your rules. Yeah. So over the time, is there been other people that have helped you along the way outside of just not just personal care and the, the early stages of living life with the spinal cord injury, but outside of that of getting back into life, getting back into new challenges or trying different activities? Again, there's a multiple number of people. And I think also with whether it's a spinal injury or any other life-changing injury, it's being able to accept that help as well and, and letting people into your life, not pushing them away, which is what you naturally want to do because you feel awkward and you feel different and you feel that everybody's looking at you. It's then looking past that and seeing what's actually there. Yeah. So when I was in the hospital, I remember you'd come around quite a lot and you was yeah. always there and you'd give us the chats. I can't remember what we talked about, but you was always there. Probably stuff we can't repeat. <laughs> Probably. And you, you followed up with that when I went home. Yeah. And you would always be in that background when I was going through a dark area. You know, you'd come down to the house or you'd make a phone call and, and that would help perk things back yeah. up. And when we moved house from the rental that we'd lived in where I brought my neck to the new house that I live now, the neighbours next door are both in wheelchairs, Emily and Bugsy. And 
it was nice actually to have somebody that you could go and talk to. Yep. That could relate to what you're going through. They're both completely different levels. Emily's a paraplegic, but she's got quad strength, so she's able to stand and waddle. And Bugsy is a double amputee from a mining accident. But to be able to go around there and sob your heart out and tell yep. them all the things that you're going through or not going through and yep. the frustrations and having someone else that could relate yep. on a similar level was really good. And my neighbours over the road, they had a young girl and they just let me take her out with me for the day with my carers or yep. down to the park. And they, they'd let me take her out just in my wheelchair on my own. She'd sit on my knee and, yep. and we'd trundle off. And that, that was really nice to know that you could have that interaction with young children. Yep. Because part of the thing that I had to process was, how am I going to help my daughter when she grows up, gets married, have yeah. kids? I can't be that grandparent I wanted to be. We'll get you a trolley on the back and they can go for a scoot with you, Joe, And they can <laughs> keep up. My, my son used to hold on with his scooter. Yeah. And he'd, I'd drag him behind. And then again, he would hold on with a blanket in the lounge and we'd just go around and he would slide on the blanket whilst we do skids round corners. Well, I used to have my, when my um, my younger brother was little, we used to put him in the cardboard box in the driveway and I'd push him along in my chair awesome. <laughs> and push him, push him, push him up and down the driveway that way. And you just get around it. You find different ways to do different things and, and you got to build up some networks with your family and friends in that area as well. Yeah, and as they've had neighbours, um, children and babies over the years, but able to interact and, and do things with them, yes, it's not going to be the same. Yep. And you have to accept that, but being able to have their children for a day or an afternoon, take them out, yep. go places with them, shows that I still have a role. Oh, yeah, when absolutely. eventually, if it ever happens. Yeah, no pressure on... No pressure on them. No they get married next Thursday. Oh, wow. That's so, Danielle and Alex. Yeah, so you're looking forward to that one? Yeah, on Stradbrook Island. And so how are you going to go with getting over to Stradbrook Island and the setup over there? So I've booked one of the apartments over there. Yep. It's not completely accessible. They do have accessible bath uh, hotel room. Yep. But it's got a horrible view of the car park. <laughs> uh, I rent an apartment that's got a big balcony overlooking the beach and the pool. And yep. A lot of space. The only one you've got to compromise on is the bathroom. So I take what's called my murder kit because it's got a big plastic sheet and a rubber mat in and duct tape to fasten it to the wall so it doesn't leak out the bathroom. And yep. I turn the bathroom into a shower room and I, yep. I do my showers in the bathroom, but that's the only part that's not accessible. So the whole improvise, adapt and overcome to make it happen. Yeah. So you're actually going to be away for the weekend for the wedding? I'll be there for the whole week. Yep. And when Danielle told me she wanted to get married on the beach, we then had to problem solve because my wheelchair won't go on the beach. And with NDIS coming in, I had my old manual wheelchair that's been hung up in the garage collecting dust for the last 10 years. Yep. I did some research and found that there is a piece of equipment called Freedom Tracks that is like the Caterpillar Tracks on the bottom of a tank. Yep. And you can put a manual wheelchair onto that and it's got a hand control. Hand control's no good for me, but my carers use it for me. Yeah, I was going to ask you about how you're going to get around on the beach. We, we've had it out for a practice a few times. Most of them was a fail. We took it out on Mother's Day and 
we had success getting to the beach and then we ended up going round and round in circles. Did you get bogged? And there was a, a man just led some bathing laughing at us. What's going on? Tiff, why am I going round in circles? Hurry up, sort your driving out, woman. Come on, what's going on? Turns out one of the little hooks had fallen off and the metal flap had fallen down and that was making us go around in circles. And then my tracks came off, so they had to lift me off the beach in the manual chair. Oh, God. That's a story for the ages. But at least I can get to the, the beach wedding. Oh, that's excellent to hear. And how have you found accommodation for travelling with with being in your wheelchair for accommodation in general with your spinal cord injury and support workers? Have you had good, bad, ugly stories? Overall, really good stories. But I think a lot of that is down to research, preparation, yep. and asking the right questions. You need to know what your own needs are, yep. what space you're going to need for it to be able to work. And what would you what what's part of that that you do with the hotel? Like what is it? I'm just asking if it is accessible. Are you calling the hotels or I, I ring and if it's local, then I'll go and check them out. In the early years, because I was so nervous, I would travel to the place and go and visit it and go and see the room and find out where I was going. Yep. So that I knew it, it covered everything I needed. Now I'll make phone calls and check. So I, I went to O'Reilly's on the weekend. Yep. And I'd I'd rang and asked and when I've been on day visits, I, I knew they had accessible areas. And I, I made the booking and everything was organised, so I didn't do any further checks like I normally would. Yep. Arrived on the day, uh, we go to the room, and there were staircases. A stairs to get into A the staircase, room? staircase, yeah. Oh, no. So, they, so we rang for... reception and she came down and said, look, seems to be a little bit of a mix-up here. I can't seem to quite get out my chair and walk up them stairs, so what are we going to do about it? Oh, I'm so sorry. And they were so apologetic and, and quick to be able to resolve the situation. They got in touch with the people that was in the accessible room and kindly asked them if they would swap rooms. And within a couple of hours, it was all resolved. Oh, awesome. Very amicably, very yep. easily done, not stressful. Yeah. And a few free drinks and cocktails on the way. That's like that's what we want to hear. Good bit of compensation. I'd say the most challenging travel was when my sister asked me to go on a cruise in 2018 for her 50th birthday. Yep. And to do that took a year of organising because you've got to take the carers with you. So I took two carers and had to get them a cabin room. I needed a disabled room for myself that I needed to organise a bed because I was going to be on the cruise for 10 days. I needed to be able to be comfortable. So I had to organise with Argyle Huntley and the travel agent and the cruise company in Australia and in America to be able to get this bed on board. And that was a fair bit of negotiation and linking everybody together and making sure it was all in the same emails Yep. to problem solve how we got the bed on board, what paperwork they needed, what electrical sockets and customs. circuits and checks and customs we needed. And once we got all that sorted out, the cruise was easy. Yeah. But you, you've got to do the preparation if you want a successful yeah. trip. And try looking at it as really complex camping. Yeah, absolutely. So Take what, everything, including the kitchen sink. Yeah, over-prepare and be, re- be organised for anything that can go wrong. Yeah. Um, so what sort of advice would you give to people other than preparing so much for 
a holiday, but just in general for um, living with a, with an injury? Because it's so difficult at the start to adjust. The advice, even for my husband, who's found it difficult adjusting to me being in a chair, is be like a clownfish. A clownfish, when it's born, isn't naturally resistant to the sea anemone. And it, it spends a little bit of time to build up that resistance, that yep. resilience to the toxins of the sea anemone. And that's what life's like, whether you're able-bodied or whether you're living with a disability. You do things a little bit at a time and build yep. up that resistance yep. so that you can go and ignore the challenges and enjoy what we, you get out of it. We've all got our lot. All got our challenges in life, whether, yeah, like you got Yes, it doesn't matter whether you've got a disability or not. Yeah. Everybody's got a challenge somewhere, whether you, you see it, hear it or not. And then when you look back over those challenges, you go, wasn't that big a deal in the end after all? You just got to get from A to Z and how you get there is not always a straight line. It's always curved and there's some sort of drama along the way. And I often feel like sometimes I throw my hands in the air and it's like, why am I doing this? But once you get to you, the other end and you've achieved your goal, you know that you've done well and it's like, well, what's the next part for that? So what's the biggest misconceptions around with people with a disability that you've come across or have found that people assume that you can or cannot do? That you're permanently miserable. It's like, oh, it's so good to see a smile on your face. Like, really? I'm going to spend the rest of my life being miserable and sulking. <laughs> No, you can't. You can't. You can't. You, you can't you've got to live with it. So yeah, you've got to find a way to get back to your own personality. And yeah, if you're a miserable person, we're a miserable personality. You might sit with a disability permanently yeah. miserable. They use it as an excuse, but you can't do that. There's no reason for it. No, exactly. If, before your injury, you was a happy person. You've got to find a way to get reach that into your inner self to what your main purpose is. For me, it was family, nature getting outside, having friends, community. Yeah. And once you get back in touch to what your main purpose in life is and retouch that and spend more time in each of those areas, then it makes life easier to be able to get back to who you were before. Yeah, inch by inch, just getting that little bit of working through, stumble, try again, get back into it. it. Yeah. yeah, and then you once you know what's work, what is working, you can then re, re reestablish new grounds and go on from there. And uh, it's okay to have your tears, tantrums, and everything else in between. Yep, throw the toys out of the cop and put them back in and go from there. Oh, if only I could, That's Lindsay. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you do, Joe. I'm sure I you do. You do I it. spit the dummy with my mouth stick. I'll toss it backwards at the carers. Throw the iPad on the ground, <laughs> then you can get your upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> so. I have a couple more questions for you. How has it helped? You've been given advice along the way. You've you've sort of, people have helped you achieve your goals. How has it helped when you've given advice back at your talks with PBF, the Paraplegic Benefit Foundation, or seen other people? Have you sort of helped repay the favour to people, like paid it forward type of thing? I believe I have. With the, the Paraplegic Benefit Fund and the presentations, it's hard to tell because you're doing those presentations to high school students. Oh, so it's not adults. 10 to 12. Yep. 
So you're not really going to know what that impact is until later on. The later on, if you ever come across yeah. them again. Yeah. As for helping other people, sometimes it's like dealing with the neighbours. Yep. We we help each other, even the the neighbours over the road that don't have disabilities. Just being able to do comparisons with each other. Yep. Allows them to accept a bit more what's going on and what challenge different challenges are and we yep. to stress on. But the the other way I, I help is with Katie helping provide the car that gives me the independence and the freedom to go for short stays away. Yep. When I do that then I write up where I've been, what's been accessible, yep. how the accommodation is and I post that on the accessible accommodation website. Yep. And I share those so that other people can see where they can go. So they're opening the doors for other people to Hopefully, go out and travel. Yeah. So one more question for you, Joe. If you can invite three people to a dinner party, dead or alive, who do you reckon you'd invite to this dinner party? As I told you before, I hate that question. I know, and you're such a good good cook with your support workers. I know you're going to cook up a good meal for them. The support workers, no, they'd be right down at the bottom of the list. <laughs> Rather invite the devil, thank you very much. The devil. So we got the devil as one. So you got two more. My mum and dad. Your mum and dad. Yeah, just mainly one because they're not here, and two because mum and dad were the ones that have given me the skills to be able to cope with what my life is now. Awesome. As that'd be a really good dinner party to have. Yeah. So with the devil in the background. Exactly. They can bring the wine. So thank you, Joe. Thanks for coming along and sharing your story. And um, yeah, thanks for yeah all the good good chats along the way. And hopefully we can revisit some of them in the future. Awesome. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And thank you to Cliff and the team for producing the podcast. Look forward to seeing you next time.